I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run Hip Hop by the numbers on Twitter and Instagram. And well, I forget the rest of it. Some other stuff. <laughs> Where I use hip hop statistics. That's right. Hip hop statistics heart of the bigger pitch. It's in there. You guys know it. It's 220 episodes. A day late and yeah. we're flubbing. You what guys know it. This is going off the rails. This whole show is going off the rails. I try to highlight my favorite hip hop knowledge. They see me digging. They hate it. You know what's wild about that song, right? Because I've heard that song, everyone's heard that song a million fucking times, but I've never heard the CD version until I bought the CD. And there's like a mat at the end of it. There's all these like like sirens and like a car crash. So I'm driving along, yeah, pulling up outside my parents' house, and I'm hearing this... I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And it's just the song. I'd never heard it before. Oh, what? what? You didn't hear the dude at the end going, oh, spill my drink. No, maybe I've always maybe you the, never heard that. That's radio weird. edit mustn't have had that, man. Oh man. Oh well, yeah, probably yeah. But yeah, I remember. I remember hearing. I remember rinsing that shit. Most one of the most ubiquitous tracks of my fucking youth. Hi Ben, how's your week been? What have you listened to this week? This week, this week, Lil Durk, Lil Durk dropped a project called Almost Healed, and it's decent, man. I saw some people disliking it on the timeline, being like, oh, "I'm not gonna listen to a Lil Durk album. I don't have time to." Li-. What do you mean you don't have time? Like that's literally what you do. Like this is the point of hip hop Twitter. You listen to music that comes out and you comment on it. Like anyway, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Uh, I thought it was better than Lil Baby's album that came out a couple of months ago. I think there's a lot of emotion on here. Lil Dirk sounds hungry, he's aggressive on here. There's a lot of a lot of pain and, and difficult circumstances that he's talking about. I really like the way that Lil Dirk situates himself in his life and like gives us what he's going through, explains, you know, it, it's not like he's going back in time and telling us all the things that have happened to him before. He's talking about that, but explaining how that's affecting him in the present. And I really enjoyed it. You know, I think the beats are good. Um, yeah, man, I'll, I'll probably go back to it. I, I'm not super, like, it's, it's, I don't think it's going to be a massive repeat listen, but I enjoyed it. I think it's solid. Uh, Cash Trill dropped Cash Only for Deluxe. Uh, there's a bit of, like, Detroit sound from a Brooklyn artist here. It's, it's very interesting. There's a couple of tracks on here I didn't really vibe with. The, the slower songs, the more romantic songs were not really up my alley but you know it's pretty hype it's it's solid fmbdz dropped uh, p rock baby the track with sada baby on here is freaking fire man you know i love sada baby it was detroit again just killing it at the moment this is just a great detroit album uh jay worthy and rock marciano dropped nothing bigger than the program with rock marciano on production uh, I think he spits a verse on there. I think he maybe the second song or the third song, but I was a little bit disappointed because I'm I'm not the biggest Jay Worthy fan. I thought that he was solid on this. You know, I think he had a lot to say, uh, and it was interesting. I saw the Pitchfork review saying that it was quite psychedelic. The production on here, I'm not 100% sure about psychedelic. I think it's a good vibe though. Um, you know. I'm not really that tapped into Rock Marciano's production so much so that I know and I could just be like, oh, that must be him. So 
I'm very interested. I'm, I'm, you know, curious to see if he goes down the 38 special kind of where they're both trying to like develop both sides of their artistry. You know, Spech obviously does a lot of tapes where he's just producing. Maybe Rock Marcy's going to do the same thing. Uh, and I'd be curious. I'd be very interested to see the kind of people that he wants to collaborate with, like the kind of rappers he wants to tap in with. Because that's what I always found interesting about Alchemist, for example. Like, who are you wanting to be with? Who are you want to do a whole project with? Like, who are you interested in working with? Um, so yeah, that was that was interesting. I I did enjoy it. I've listened to it through a couple of times. Uh, Casa overall dropped animals. Now this is a freaking. Oh good. I have no idea how to talk to talk about this one. <laughs> Bro, this is a brilliant freaking project, man. This is super jazzy, super because he's a drummer. You know, he's a drummer first, and there's some yeah. there's some real interpretive like acidy jazz in the middle there. But there's also like a Danny Brown on Wiki with Wiki on the same track. You got Lil B just coming in with Shabazz Palaces and Francis and the Lights on the final track, which when I saw the track listing, I'm like, this is going to be incredible. And, you know, I'm a Lil B disciple, but I was like, Lil B, I'm not 100% sure that he was necessary on that track. I was a bit disappointed. Obviously, he came in and just freestyled straight off the top of the head, which I know he does a lot. Um, But yeah, no, the whole project is great. When I first put it on a couple of days ago, I was not in the. I don't. I didn't think I was in the right headspace because I've been very keyed up lately. Um, starting new medication is not 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 sitting well with me, and I was like, I can't sit with a jazz album. Like it's just not going to happen. But I put it on last night when I was significantly worse than I was a couple of days ago, and it was brilliant. It was so beautiful. Like it was just all over the shot. You never knew what was going to come next. I listened to it two times through. And, uh, you know, there's some straight up hip hop tracks on here. There's some even R&B flavor on here. And then there's some real like 60s all over the place jazz. Like it, it's it's a really solid list and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, Rakeem Shabazz dropped Wise the Dome. And yeah, Rakeem Shabazz, never listened to him before, but... Yeah, it's really solid. Some brilliant features on here. Backward Sweetie's on here. And if Backward Sweetie's on your album, I'm going to listen to your whole fucking album. There's no doubt about it. I'm going to go straight to that song, but I'm going to listen to your whole album. Uh, she is just an incredible MC. And finally, Casey and Gasafelstein. 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 I apologize. He's French, so it's not Gasafelstein. It's, it's a French word. But anyway, TW2052. This was a real out of left field because I love Gasafelstein. I think he's an incredible producer. And I didn't realize how big he's gotten in the last few years. Like when I first tapped into him ages ago, I wouldn't say he was underground, but you know, he was just a new producer that I hadn't really heard of before. And it was doing something completely different to what everyone else was doing. And then I thought, oh, Casey's dropped on, you know, I think that's how you say his name. I apologize if I've got it wrong. But this was brilliant, man. This was great. I think that um, there's a lot of emotion on here. A lot of talk of mental illness as well. Um, But yeah, it's it's quite a heartfelt little project. It's quite short. I think it's only an EP, like six, seven, eight tracks. But uh, I would highly recommend that. That was something that I'd completely forgotten about had dropped. And then a couple of days in to the week, I was like, you know what? Fuck, I forgot about this. And I listened to it and it's different. And that's what I like that, man, because so much music at the moment just sounds the exact same. And for Casey to tap in with, you know, a French DJ who's dropping some pretty industrial level EDM. Uh, ooh, yeah, man, it's 
it's where it's at so i enjoyed that a lot so yeah that was me charlie what about yourself yeah i got into a few projects and a couple i didn't but we'll get to that next week okay move it move uh, moving on to the next week um so kai spelled k-y-e uh ribena um definitely one of my eps of the year and there are <laughs> there are fucked out of those this year jesus christ there are so many eps uh ep list is gonna look crazy anyway um this uh is kind of Held together for me personally by two tracks, uh, Bossian and the title track Ribena, um, which have these just classic garage vibes. I'm fucking here for it. I put Bossian right on the regular rotation immediately. Consider that a songs of the uh, songs list uh, contender for me personally. Um, that shit fucking slaps. I love that to death. I love me some garage. Whenever when anyone does garage in 2023. You, I'm get, you're getting a spin from me. Trust me on that. Just let me know. Let me know when Garage is about. I'm there. Um, but the rest of the rest of the EP goes um, kind of a different way um, past the Garage elements of those two tracks. Um, but yeah, it's a really good EP. Really love it. Um, really, really good stuff. Um, it's the first time I've... Uh, one of those um, artists I just, uh, you know, randomly followed and uh, just waited to see if they'd actually drop anything. And I uh, got this and I was like... I'm here. I'm here now. I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm tuned in now. Proper. I'm tuned in proper. Uh, Kyra Bina, definitely worth a spin. Uh, Monaleo, uh, where where the flowers don't uh, don't die. Oh, she might be next for me, bruv. She might be next. She might be next. I was just uh, I was listening to this and I was like, oh yeah, this is it. This is it right now. This is it. I'm liking this. I'm liking all of this. Uh, Goddess with Flo Millie is um, you you. you you start with it and you think it's like, okay, God is a woman. All right, here we go. It's going to be one of those tracks. But I love the way they switched up a little bit because <laughs> they turned it into hmm. God can't possibly be yeah. a man because like men suck. And it's just, it's just, you feel like, you feel like it's been done before, but just the way they do it, just a little, just a little bit different. Um, the track is so serene in its production. I really enjoy it. Flo Millie is just a, you know, just a e- easy pick for the feature on this one. It was just, I, c- I can imagine her listening to this beat, having the concept and just going, oh yeah, let's get fo- get Flo Millie on the phone because it just made absolute sense. Um, but some of these lyrics are funny. Just, uh, uh, I said, if God is a man, what does that make me? It's no way in hell that nigga made me. Uh, can you blame me? Tell me how God ain't a lady. Cause I never known a nigger to make shit, but a bad, uh, but a bad bitch crazy, or a bad bitch lazy, or make a bitch bitch lazy. Niggas really do amaze me. Got to treat a man like a baby. <laughs> they really drained me. It's just oh, it's just they just she just keeps going and going. It's just absolutely hilarious. But um, yeah, the rest of the album um is really solid. Um, I love Sober Mind as a good start. Uh, just really um. This ain't this ain't just you know rich bitch music you know what I mean it's not just that this there's layers to this album and I really respect that uh, misunderstood really good track uh, Ridgemont Baby really good track um, there's just some uh, you know there's some flexi tracks you're gonna get these and you're gonna enjoy it right but the 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 tracks past that the deeper cuts like Sober Mind is obviously the first track but you know what I mean just really hits just really hits and uh, the whole thing just seems really super tight um so i really really respect that and uh yeah consider me a mono leo fan off the top 
uh, off the top rope. Uh, Tyre still wonders. Um, I'm counting this as an EP, but um, feel free to correct me. Um, but yeah, good, uh, good, um, uh, good little uh, dose of new R and B. Um, got a bit of uh, island elements uh, towards uh, towards it on uh, one particular track. I'm trying to look up the freaking there you go. Uh, Na- no way, no Bly is a really good uh, track for me personally. Uh, Pillow talk, sunsets in the west. Um, just really, really easy to listen to. Um, definitely replayable. Um, and nice to sing along to as well. Um, yeah, it's just a really nice, solid uh, new R and B project. Um, definitely get into that. Uh, it's spelled T A Y A H um, for her name, if you want to spin. And uh, lastly, cast overall animals. Uh, yeah, <laughs> in this, in 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 the way that uh, the esoteric nature of it um, pleased Ben, the esoteric nature uh, freaked me out, and I was just like, "What the fuck am I listening to?" And I just, I just, I just, yeah, I just, uh, I kind of tuned out as it went. Um, and you know, I saw the features. I was like, "Okay, Danny Brown's here." Also, Lurin Vula's here, and then little bees at the end of it. I'm just like, what's going on? Um, and yeah, just <laughs> and to be fair, it works for everybody in inside the tracks that they're in. Um, it's just as a overall listen of an album, I was just like, I I don't know where what how to describe this. Um, so I'll 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 relay back to what Ben said on, on any of that. But um, yeah. <laughs> Interesting, interesting listen to say the least. Um, but yeah, we shall move in to our topic uh, for this episode. We shouldn't have left you without a dope pod to step to, of course, um, but we will explain ourselves uh, by the end of the ep uh, for the light note if you are that pressed <laughs> about us being 24 hours late. Um, but here we are. Uh, a, the, a moment of silence uh, for, for the Tuesday streak. Um, 200 insane episodes. We, we we missed it, um, but that's a decent streak. R.I.P. People are welcome um, to abuse me in DMs because people do it anyway. So just go ahead and. Uh, but I mean, this is a banger of an app. I mean, would communism have worked if it adhered to the OVO values? That's a massive like. This is a, this is a lot to dig into on this one. <laughs> no, no, we should get into it because it's quite a long app. So we're not going to talk about OVO and communism, but. We're going to talk about Chameleon Air, if you want to intro us. We're doing Chameleon Air. <laughs> well, here you go. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, he only has two albums, and uh, that's uh, they're pretty easy to get into on that front. Um, but, you know, you'll see a ton of mixtapes and uh, a, a ton of background. Uh, so this is a Ben Heavy episode, so strap in, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so Houston hip-hop legend Chameleon Air. He's actually one of the most unique hip-hop stories. Oh, hip-hop legend, okay. I mean, right. I mean Come on. Bold cleave off the back. Come on, bro. Off the back. You know me. I've got 2004, bro. That's me. I'm all over that. 2006, riding dirty. But, you know, he started off independently. He was grinding mixtapes for years before his major label deal with Universal. Uh, then he went number one on the Hot 100 with Riding, which is a song that charted in 15 countries, went top 10 in 11 of those countries, and a song that bankrolled his foray into business. One of the earliest and most successful rapper-turned-tech investor stories in hip-hop history. Now, Chameleon Air was able to transcend the one-hit wonder stasis and rewrite the entire narrative of his career. He's 
not simply the dude who made Raiden. He's the guy who used the hit song to propel himself into the world of startups and venture capital. So he was born in Washington, D.C. before moving to Houston, Texas, before he turned five. He described his upbringing to various interviewers as both informative and traumatic. He saw his neighbor get killed right outside his apartment, and he said he feared for his life, especially when the police turned up, asked a couple of questions, and then just left apparently in no rush to find the killer or keep the neighborhood safe. When his parents separated, they lived in different areas. His mother left in, uh, sorry, lived in a significantly more dangerous neighborhood. His father moved into a middle-class area. So Chameleonaire said this early juxtaposition of danger and safety would inspire him years later to pursue business as a career and put himself and his family as far out of harm's way as possible. He credits this upbringing with giving him a much more balanced and informed view of the world. He's told interviewers it fostered a sense of curiosity in him. Rather than just accepting what was presented as fact to him, he would ask hundreds of questions. He also said it taught him to listen, to stay quiet and learn as others spoke. So his parents had banned secular music in their respective households, meaning that hip hop was not an acceptable genre of music to play, which we've heard ad nauseum on this podcast so many times. Naturally, Chameleonaire gravitated towards it. You take something away and say you can't do it. Kids are going to do it. Um, you know, he was growing up in Texas and Tennessee. Uh, explosion in mainstream rap, Ghetto Boys, UGK, 8Ball, MGJ, like... MJ, MGJ, MJG, apologies. So he would find plenty of like-minded individuals at school where he'd silently watch kids battling at lunchtime and he said he'd wait until his confidence grew enough to kind of jump into the battle himself. He actually told uh, King Crooked in their interview on Crook's Corner, he would watch the young MCs and kind of study their technique and he said mostly they were rapping rhymes they'd written at home and memorized and very few were capable of coming off the top of their head with anything meaningful or brutal. So he said that this was his unique selling point. He was able to insert sharp observations about what was happening in the moment during a freestyle battle, and this knowledge gave him the confidence to jump in and start battling his classmates. So it was actually another young MC who sparked the desire in Chameleonaire to start taking hip hop more seriously than a few lunchtime battles, and it's the legendary Paul Wall, Houston rapper Paul Wall, who would become a mainstay in the independent scene in the 2000s. They quickly formed a friendship and began thinking hard about ways to infiltrate the local hip-hop scene. They had a friend who played football at Rice University and was a capable rapper himself, and he created a makeshift studio in his dorm room. And the budding duo recorded for the very first time in his home studio. They recorded a song titled Young and From Texas over the top of the Young and the Restless theme song, which is interesting. At the, uh, Paul Wall said it was pretty poor. He said it was it was okay, but like he, he doesn't ever want anyone to hear it. So they you know they'd started to record music together, which is a huge first step. And they joined a group called the Sleepwalkers alongside another rapper called Pimp Killer Thug. And it was a gospel rap group. And they apparently would open up shows for Swisher House members. Now Paul Wall told Hip Hop DX, our group was the Sleepwalkers, and we were trying to do our thing, but it was more like a hobby. We'd go pay for studio time, perform here and there, the same thing everybody always does. But I didn't think we ever really legitimately thought it was gonna happen. It was just like something we did with friends for fun. So the duo was still committed to turning music into a career. Paul Wall said in the same Hip Hop DX interview, I just remember me at the time, it was like, I don't know if my career is gonna be a rapper, but I can have a career as a DJ because I was good at that as well. I was real good at blending and I have a good compilation there. It wasn't just whatever the radio hits were, I would play the underground music. So regardless of the way in, Paul Wall wanted to turn it into his career and he kind of dragged Chameleon Air into this, dragged him along and 
inspired him and helped motivate him. So they began recording and eventually morphed the Sleepwalkers into their group, the Color Changing Click, a loose collective that at times would include up to six local MCs. They became enmeshed briefly, briefly with Swisher House, the legendary independent label formed in 97 um, by Michael 5000 5, Watts and OG Ron C. Now that was based in Houston and Slim Thug and Mike Jones are alumni of that. And in fact, Paul Wall is still a member of this label to this day. Um, and things soured a little bit, but we'll get into that in a bit later. So Paul Wall and Chameleon had begun working out ways to progress in the music industry. And one day while I was putting up promo posters for Def Jam on the side of a record store, Paul Wall actually saw Michael Watts and he attempted to reach out to the CEO. So he actually said, he told Drink Champs, I'm putting up posters for a Def Jam artist. I see him at one of the record stores and I ask him, uh, how come you don't ever rap on Cash Money or Manny Fresh Beats? Because I used to love Cash Money and Manny Fresh Beats. And he was like, the artists choose the beats and they just didn't choose those beats. I'm like, tell them they trip and they need to rap on this beat, that beat. And he just called me out and he said, what would you do? And I freestyled something and he was like, come on, let's go. So he took him to the studio. So there's this legendary story going around of Watts allowing Chameleon Air and Paul Wall to freestyle on his radio show, which is 97.9 The Box in Houston. Watts enjoyed himself so much that he even hopped on the beat himself, and this energy progressed into allowing the duo to spit verses on mixtapes that Watts was dropping as part of the Swisher House label. So Swisher House was pivotal in Chameleon Air's story for a lot of reasons. The buzz and the hype that he built himself through lunchtime battles at school and occasional forays into recording as the Sleepwalkers set him up to move into more formal aspects of a career in rap. Whilst the Sleepwalkers was just some friends messing around and having fun in a home studio, Swisher House brought it with a whole network of MCs, mixtapes, live performances, recording opportunities. Chameleon Air learned a lot during his time here, mostly what not to do and what direction he didn't want his career to go in. He told the interviewer, Tiffany Hamilton, he said, this is Chameleon Air, when I was in Swisher House, it wasn't a real label at the time. It was kind of like a bunch of rappers spitting on screwed mixtapes. I never saw any contracts at all. We were never signed. That's the reason why we were able to start our own thing when our street buzz was hot enough. I got tired of watching all the money get made and not being able to financially profit from it. I was told that I had to pay dues when I was asking about getting paid for a show that I was performing in. I did hundreds of mixtape verses and a lot of shows and wasn't making any money. So I got out and did my own thing. No one puts a salary cap on me or tells me when I get paid now. I'm thankful for the experience though because I learned from it, but what I went through is also the reason why I separate myself from everything they got going on over there. I respect what that label did to get me where I'm at, but I'm not a sweatshop worker and this is rap and this is how my family eats. So Paul Wall obviously felt very differently. He told Hip Hop DX the opportunity to work with the label and do promo with them didn't get any bigger than that. Money was still difficult to come by and Paul Wall actually told Vice um, he and Chameleon Air would work a lot of random jobs to put money on the table. Um, you know, Paul Wall said they used to work at Target, they would wash dishes at Golden Corral, uh, Babies R Us, they worked out as well. They worked at Coney Island, they cut grass, they washed floors, they did all sorts of things. But eventually the pressure of trying to record and work at the same time forced them to leave Swisher House and seek more profitable pastures. They signed to Paid In Full Entertainment as the group Color Changing Click for a single album deal. The label was behind releases of a bunch of local Houston artists, including tapes from Swisher House founder OG Ron C., um, and Color Changing Click Associate 5050 Twin. So the label was owned by Benjamin Thompson, AKA Mad Hatter. 
Now, he had dropped a bunch of his own tapes on the label in the late 90s, and he was working hard with local radio stations to kind of push this slowed down Texas sound into the mainstream. And he was actually experiencing a lot of lackluster response from DJs who said they couldn't fit the slowed down tracks into their mixes. So he sat down with Donnie Houston uh, for an interview, and it was a very interesting interview. And he explained that it was most likely Ron C of Swisher House that first brought the duo into his orbit uh, he said he doesn't actually remember how it went, but he gravitated towards Chameleonaire, who he affectionately calls Cam, after he'd heard him diss J-Mac on a mixtape. Mad Hatter couldn't remember the exact bar, but it was actually off the song Flow, and Chameleonaire raps, I couldn't make a whack rap if my name was J-Mac. I'm just joking, Mac. I take that back, but I just gave you a shout-out. You can't hate that. So Mad Hatter really liked that bar, apparently. Um, and he found out Paul Wall was white, so he jumped at the opportunity to sign them to the label. This is obviously, you know, new metal, Eminem, uh, Limp Biscuit. you know, white rappers were the thing in the late 90s. And so, you know, I think, you know, the, the, there was actually animosity between Paul Wall and Mad Hatter. You know, it's, it's kind of funny, this story, because Mad Hatter, the interview is really interesting. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm, he was very candid. And he said that he criticized Mr. Wall, Mr. Wall, he called him, at a basketball camp when he was just a teenager. So pre-Eminem Mad Hatter took Paul Wall aside and said to him, a white kid rapping in Houston looked crazy. He said that he always felt Chameleonaire didn't really want to sign as a duo as well. And Mad Hatter takes the blame, saying he may have bullied or forced Chameleonaire into signing as a group rather than pursuing his own solo career which I have never heard before in my life. You know, we know about Chameleonaire and Paul Wall. It's a classic story. They're a, a classic duo, one of the most iconic duos in the early, late 90s, early 2000s. And for him to say that, I don't know if maybe that's just his opinion. I don't know if Chameleonaire feels that way, but it's obvious that people saw Paul Wall as someone a little different and a bit risky um, when you think of the time. So 2002, their debut album comes out. The same year Eminem dropped the Eminem show and this white rapper takeover, people were predicting at the time, it actually never really happened in retrospect. But in the early 2000s, it was a massive thing. I remember it very well. You know, people were thinking that white rappers were going to become the norm and going to become totally ubiquitous. But the duo dropped their debut album, Get Your Mind Correct, in 2002. It was a huge underground hit, managed to chart on the Billboard Hip Hop Albums chart. It was nominated for Indie Album of the Year by The Source. Some estimates claim the album sold 150,000 copies independent, which is very good. Chameleonaire's business acumen was already shining through. He told Crook's Corner he used to artificially inflate demand for his mixtapes using a pretty ingenious technique. He'd look up local record stores in the cities he and Paul Wall were performing in, and he'd call the store or get devoted fans to call and ask to buy their mixtape. Once enough people called the store demanding a copy of the tape, the record store, often entirely clueless to who Paul Wall and Chameleonaire were, would actually call them up and order a bunch of tapes on consignment because the demand was so high so they artificially inflated the demand and you know not only did this rapidly build their bank balance they were selling hundreds of tapes for seven dollars each to unsuspecting record stores it also began to build their hype their music was obviously good and whenever a record store would stock their mixtape the duo would urge their fans to go out and buy a copy and support both of them and the local record stores so they began to build not just a local buzz because they were doing this in different cities and that was his whole point he's like we would have you know, he, we will find out who in New York or who in Cleveland or who in et cetera, et cetera. They go all over the country. 
they were actually, and this is, I, I'd never heard this before, they were dubbed the Houston G Unit on account of their mixtape hustle. There you go. Oh, that's going to, that's going to, that's, that's lending such a, such a, that's, that's going to go into one of my points. It's okay. Fit so well, I'm carry. glad. I'm glad. So, on as a group, Color Change and Click went on to release a staggering 15 mixtapes from 2000 to 2006, two studio albums, the second of which was Controversy Cells, which uh, featured Lil Flip and Devin the Dude, and actually dropped after they had broken up so and gone their separate ways. So in the mid-2000s, a perfect storm of problems struck the duo and caused the breakup of the group and a shattering of their shared musical dream. In 2004, it was alleged that Chameleonaire's younger brother, Razak, was attacked in a nightclub by Paul Wall and his entourage after he allegedly dissed Paul Wall's mother in a song. And this served as a flashpoint in the relationship that was already growing fractured. Early interviews from the two talked about the fact that they're not much alike at all. Chameleonaire said their dynamic was kind of good guy, bad guy, with Paul Wall the more vivacious and outgoing and Chameleonaire the more reserved. Their relationship may have survived this, but Paul Wall's decision to go back to Swisher House at a time when Mike Jones was at the pinnacle of the label ensured there would be no patching up of their differences. Chameleonaire had taken issue with some of the things Mike Jones had been saying on Wax, and he decided to devote an entire mixtape in 2004, Mixtape Messiah, to just straight up dissing Mike Jones. Every single song on disc one is a Mike Jones disc. That's, you know, some sort of legendary hating, like top tier player haters bullshit. Like it's wild. Rapping over some of the most iconic instrumentals in history. Uh, when he was asked about it by Complex, Chameleonaire said, I was that mad, but the real reason I was mad at Mike Jones was because I know he said stuff. But the fact is, I was more mad at the fact he was speaking like he never did it and was talking like he believed it. I was so mad that he actually looked like he believed it. So he was angry that Mike Jones said stuff and then didn't admit to it. In an interview released years later, Paul Wall would even go as far as to say when they recorded their debut album as uh, Color Change and Click, they weren't even cool at that stage and they were forcing the music in order to make money. So that kind of backs up what Mad Hatter said. If money-making was the only goal of the duo, going back to Swisher House was the very last place Chameleonaire would consider going. He felt OG Ron C and Watts were pocketing the lion's share of their artist's earning, and they were basically just getting fucked financially. It was a sad end to one of the most promising collaborations in hip-hop history, and they would reunite many years later playing a run of shows together, and they did a bunch of interviews. They both say that jealousy played a huge role in their extended separation. Uh, both artists managed to blow up independently of each other in vastly different ways, but that sting of jealousy kept them apart for many, many years before they patched it up. So Chameleonaire went in his own way, created his own label, Camilitary, and he began working. Mixtape Messiah dropped in 2004 and kind of remains a high watermark in Houston mixtape scene from the early 2000s and his discography, to be fair. It you know, pushed his brand into the path of a bunch of major labels. One of those was Sony, who dangled a huge figure in front of his face, only for Chameleonaire to walk out of the meeting proudly, refusing to collaborate with anyone who might get in the way of him earning as much money as possible from his career. He told Dame Dash in an interview, and I'll tell you what, if you want to watch an interview, watch Dame Dash and Chameleonaire. It is pretty funny. It's, it's an interesting interview, but anyway... He told Dame Dash in an interview that he would eventually walk into Universal after having met with every other major label, and he took a sticker with him from every label, 
And when he went into that meeting with Universal, he had a bunch of Sony and Warner type stickers all on his shirt. And his first statement to the label was, I don't care whether I leave this building with a record deal or not. And apparently this show of independent strength helped him in negotiating the best deal possible. And that's it. Then we get, he begins to record his debut album, The Sound of Revenge. And shit hits, man. It does actually. It really does. Um, But, um, I was gonna. I was. I didn't know if the time passed where I could just like, uh, you know, looking like a wreck, bound out and depleted. Fucking legendary. This is such a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Um, shout out to TT who I hit up um, as you were talking because um, I was obviously taken aback by saying legend, but I asked her since she's from Houston. Um, she goes, I would admit, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say legend, but I would say he's up there, uh, like up there with Houston rappers. Like I consider Houston rap legends to be PMC, Bum B, DJ Screw. Um, she said Megan will be later on. Uh, then like the second tier will be Paul Wall, Mike Jones, Chameleon Air Zero. But if, again, if you listen to Chameleon Air's legend, no one would argue uh, argue with you because that's debatable. Um, so yeah. I'll leave, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, yeah, Sound of Revenge, Sound of Revenge. Um, great name for an album, low-key, low Sound of Revenge. Um, yeah, uh, it's too, I lo- I, I've, I've, I'm very interested in the name etymology here because obviously, you know, there's the millionaire thing, right? But then there's also the chameleon yeah. element which uh, features in his artwork. And I'm just like, what's the comedian stuff about yeah <laughs> it's like i just i don't know i find it a bit we- random uh just to just to have a comedian element like he's i don't know does that mean he's like yeah you know i mean i just don't get it i don't, I don't get the i get the millionaire bit because i've literally got the artwork i've i've got the artwork on my wall i'm looking at it right now it, you don't see I'm the comedian really, yeah i don't know it doesn't it's not coming out. He's just like got his chain. Yeah, you you don't see the comedian in the middle? Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I mean, yeah, oh, it, fe- it features on the, the se- it features on know. the second album more heavy. Um, is actually like a comedian on top of the logo um, that he has on there. But um, anyway, just something like just something like lean does like comedian. Obviously, it sounds like comedian, but I'm wondering why why you're talking about comedians. But anyway, um, yeah, the album's great. Uh, to put simply, um, really enjoyed it. Uh, just got good energy to it. Uh, the producer, the production is really solid. Um, <laughs> a fun fun fact on the Wikipedia: the non-album single "Picture Perfect" peaked at number twenty-eight on the Hot Ringtones. Yeah, yeah. Shout out, shout out, shout out. Uh, good, good old ringtone rap era. Oh yeah, always fascinates That's me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, obviously, uh, riding was just the. God damn, man! That that was I. I can't the 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 randomly while I was listening to this. Um, I mean, let's just say, let's just say up front that like the hook is just one of the most iconic hooks in hip hop history. I I feel like anybody, if as soon as that comes on, everybody's singing it. Um, everyone's saying it, and um, it's so weird because while I was listening to it for the first time in literally decades, <laughs> um, I was I I'm always taken back randomly. Uh, to a school trip I had to France, and I was just listening. I was also listening to Riding, and everyone <laughs> else was listening to Riding. 
And I was with my, I was, I was like, uh, I was in like a room with like uh, four, just like four schoolmates, and we're all just spinning it. And it was just, I don't know, it's very, it's, that's just where my head goes. So, shout out to Chameleon Air for having a song so ubiquitous. It was being blasted amongst me and four white kids uh, from UK while on a school trip to France. So there you go. Who else can say that uh, in this world? <laughs> but yes, uh, past the, uh, the obvious track that is um, just so iconic. Um, I just really actually enjoy this album. Um, uh, you know, it's a little long for my taste, obviously. I'm, a, I, I'm famously not a person that likes to listen to albums longer than 70 minutes. Um, but, you know, you have to have a fucking good reason to have your album longer than 65. Um, but I, f- I fuck with this heavy. I fuck with this. Um, it, it goes from a... It, it, go- it goes deeper um, as you go into it. Because, um, you know, it starts off with just generic, you know, just rap shit. You know what I mean? Turn it up, a little flip. Got a Scott Storch beat on there. Then ride in, then no snitching with Bum B on the back end of it. Really solid. Love me some Bum B. Southern Takeover with Killer Mike on there. Oh, tough, tough track. Oh, yeah. Banger track. Love yeah. the. Br- 2000s Killer oh, Mike, yeah. man. Yeah. Fucking when hell. he when he just when he Always. just didn't give a shit. Yeah. Just, uh, he, he was just going. Yeah. He was killing. As, it, as his name says. Um, you know, yes. and then Radio Interruption, solid. And, uh, but then it just gets into just. I don't know, like, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but it just go somewhere else. And you get grown and sexy, and you get think I'm crazy, and then you get rain and picture perfect with these two Soul Messiah beats. Song. These two Soul Messiah beats on rain and picture perfect was just, oh, so clean. Scarface on rain, tough. Bum B on picture yep. perfect, tough. Um, wasn't a fan of the many fresh beat on Flyers of Sky, um, but yeah, past that, Pretty solid freaking album to listen to. I think it's aged pretty decently. Obviously, it screams 2000s for obvious reasons. Um, but, yeah, I think it's pretty a pretty solid listen um, overall. I can't, really, I can't really complain about it too much. Is it a little bit too long? Could a couple of tracks go out here? Maybe, sure. I'll, if you if you told me if you told me I could, I probably would um, take a, at least two tracks out of here um, just to make it a little bit tired. But, you know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not really hell bent on on doing that. Um, but yeah, it's a really solid album. Can't complain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I actually bought it a couple of maybe a couple of months ago. Um, I was messing around on Discogs and buying something, and I was like, you know what? The Chameleon Air CD is on there for two bucks. I'm buying it. So, I played it in my car, and that's the reason why I'm doing this episode because I've been playing it in my car for the last two months. And you know, it's it's, it's interesting. It's the, the in order to promote the album is very interesting he did a bunch of press including a very weird interview at pitchfork in this very self-aggrandizing although actually probably entirely on brand pitchfork interview um chameleon air kind of burned his color changing click work with a withering quote okay is it changing is it it might be changing i'm i'm, I'm just i'm just thinking because southern could be but like, uh, yeah, I just, I, 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 I said Changin in my head because I thought, you know, Southern they say Changin, but uh, absolutely it might be changing. Be. But uh, carry on. If I, I go just, wrong, just I apologize. You know, I apologize. Feel free to correct. From, yep, yep, because you know this, this whole show is going if down you're the road. From Houston, so Texas. Uh, just please remember, I'm from Sydney, Australia, not Houston, Texas, and I apologize <laughs> profusely if I'm fucking up. But 
He didn't put the accent on like I did. Because, you know, that's cancelable for me. But anyway, uh, so he said this. He said, I I kind of grew up and started maturing. I think people look at Get Your Mind Correct and in the South, they think it was kind of a classic album. Timing was everything. And at that time, you could really have no substance. You could talk about nothing. But the South has been doing that for so long that that doesn't fly anymore. Katrina just happened. How can you make an album about how big my rims are a hundred times on an album when Katrina just happened? I'm dealing with having to sell records, real life issues, and I'm getting older. There are certain fans who want me to rap about the exact same thing, but it's time to grow up. Musically, that's what I want to do. I want to graduate and become one of the greatest. You can't do that just spitting punchlines. I mean, Lil Wayne might beg to differ, but I respect those people who say they love that old style, but it would be greedy of them to want me to stay the same person. Now, funnily enough, the Pitchfork interviewer continues to harp on about that album, naturally, which sparks Chameleonaire to continue to savage it. I ain't gonna lie, I still try to stick to the same formula, just without the lack of purpose. This time I had a purpose. Last time I didn't have a purpose. He even sets the interviewer up for a Paul Wall beatdown question, and I actually really like the way the interviewer pivots. I'll read a section of it. He says... Lately, rap seems to be even more centered on the whole trap house thing, like Young Jeezy just went platinum with an album that's pretty much about nothing but how he used to sell drugs, and it's one of my favorite albums of the year. Chameleonaire says, yeah, mine too. The interviewer says, but it's gotten to the point now where Paul Wall's talking about moving bricks, and that's a little bit ridiculous to me. And Paul uh, Chameleonaire says, people can see it when when you're honest and sincere. If you're a humble person and you walk in and you start talking, people are going to be able to tell. You can't fake it. If I asked you something about basketball and you don't really know about basketball and you try to talk about it and fake it, I'm going to be able to tell. It's the same way about music. You have to be real. And the very next question is, Pitchfork says, you've got the no snitching song on the new album. That doesn't seem like something you've talked about before. Chameleonaire, still a little bit too clever to get trapped by that. He replied, the street talk and all that, we do that on the undergrounds, and I still kept the formula without lying about myself. I might tell a story about somebody else, but I don't sit there and do a story about somebody snitching on me selling coke because people know I didn't sell coke. So I just try to keep it real, but still try to do it in a creative way, which I found interesting. Anyway, Santa Revenge, very unpolished patchy album at times but it has some of the greatest moments of mid-2000s rap and some of the lowest rain with scarface brilliant 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 dark deep dive into the tortured psyches and difficult states of being flies the sky features his brother uh, alongside Lil wayne gem of a song um his brother and little wayne have similar vocal tones as well it's very interesting picture perfect with bum b very solid song uh sudden takeover with killer mike I thought Grown and Sexy is pretty close to unlistable. Um, Chameleonaire spitting some of the weakest game you'll ever hear on Wax. Some of the weakest, weakest game. Radio Takeover. And, bro, the amount of skits on 90s and 2000 albums where, like, they go into a radio show or a record label and just start beating everyone up. Oh, my gosh. It's such a trope. They just go in there. And they oh, just the radio they beat hating. the brakes off it. this person and get them to play the chameleon music. It's great. You know, I love it's it. such a trope. Um, How do you think about Think I'm Crazy as yeah, a storytelling yeah, trope? I didn't it's mind solid. It. You know, he's a good storyteller. It came out of nowhere well, for me. The second half like, of the oh, album okay. is, is quite deep in that sense. You know, I, I think the first half of the album is... You know, it's it's for the the mainstreams, for the the radio, and the second half, it's similar to the Jadakiss. Jadakiss albums were similar. 
you know, the second half of the album, usually there was some pretty deep introspective tracks on there. And I think, I think, you know, Chameleon is a solid, solid storyteller, you know, uh, I wouldn't say he's addressing the big issues in any real meaningful way, but certainly there's enough on here to accept that his content was on a more sustainable path based on kind of current events and human emotion. I think he showed enough deafness and lyrical depth to say that it could have sustained a more conceptual career as he progressed musically. I think this was a good start. I think, you know, obviously his career didn't go in that direction. It went, you know, into business. Um, but yeah, if he wanted to go down that path, you know, I think he could have. And then Ryden, um, it wasn't the first single. Uh, that was Turn It Up with Lil Flip, and that managed to go number 41 on the Hot 100, which was pretty huge, um, which is nothing compared to Ryden, of course. But it was never meant to be the hit. It was always meant to be the debut solo single, Turn It Up with Lil Flip. Chameleonaire believed in Ryden, though. He actually went against the label's wishes and basically strong-armed them into dropping it as a single. Fuck it, it just tells you about labels, eh, bro? Seriously, how stupid could you be that Chameleonaire had to force them? So he told Hip Hop DX about Turn It Up and then Ryden. He said, my first single cost me 150000 for the beat, and they wanted me to go spend 250000 on a Timberland beat, and I wouldn't do it. Then they were forced to have to put out the song that I wanted, which was Ryden. That didn't cost much to make. And it just went to the world. I remember being in Jamaica and all the kids, they were screaming the song. It was just everywhere I was going because everyone had that relationship with police. And I was like, okay, we got something here. So Pitchfork uh, contributor Tom Brayen, who I quoted earlier when referencing the Pitchfork interview, um, he reviewed the song in 2023 and he said, nobody saw Ryden coming. Crazy Bone himself featured on the track. He actually told Vlad, I did the verse and I didn't hear nothing else about the song for like two years. And then I get a call one day. My dude was like, we got one with this song you did. And I'm like, what song? He said, the song you did with the guy from Houston. I'm like, man, I forgot about that damn song. He was like, it's getting spins. It look like, looks like we're going to need a video. Next thing I know, they're calling me like, yo, this song is nominated for a Grammy. I'm like, what? then i get to the grammys and they're like yo we won the grammy <laughs> i was like this is uh, I, was, I, was, I was gonna say if they didn't win it this fucking is wild, right? crazy. i was gonna look i was gonna I say know. What, what and he it. said this Fuck. is crazy for a song i didn't even think was gonna come out i was tripping i never thought that was gonna come out that song ever that was the be- one of the best royalty checks ever right there for real so the album had gone gold and it seemed like that's all it was gonna do but Ryden propelled Chameleonaire further commercially than any of his Houston family had thus far managed, at least in his generation. He impacted the entire world, won a Grammy, shot to mainstream ubiquity. Um, you know, it just it just crossed over like crazy. And anyone fearful of the police had a immediate anthem. It also gave all us teenage white dweebs something to bump abhorrently loud in our car whilst we just drove past the police without a second glance because of our caucastic privilege. Like, you know, we weren't, we weren't getting any trouble. We were still bumping this song. And, you know, it was, it was just so ubiquitous. It was just an incredible song. Um, and, yeah, man, it was, it, the song kind of propelled the album to levels that they didn't expect. And it was interesting because Paul Wall's 2005 sophomore album, The People's Champ, kind of really outstripped Chameleonaire's record in scope. It went number one on the Billboard 200 under the Swisher House label. Um, And I found that really interesting because 
yeah, I, I just found that really interesting that it was just that one song. But the, I, th- I thought the album was solid, you know. I thought the Chameleon Air album was really solid. It didn't get reviewed very well at all, you know. People really criticized it when it came out. So, I don't know, man. I thought it was good. Uh, I'm just... Um, uh, I was just looking at the uh, history of uh, the Grammy Award for Best Rap oh, yeah, by two of group. <laughs> uh, it started 2011. Um which is fascinating because it was uh, Jay-Z and Swizzy on to the next one, which is... Oh, was that the winner? Yeah, that was That won a Grammy? It's a banger. It's a banger track. It's a banger, but like... Wait, Um, best... What's the the award? Best... Grammy Award for Best Rap Performance by a Duo or Group. So who else was in that one? How is that a rap duo? Swizzy Uh, doesn't even rap on it. Big Boy and Cutty, Shutterbug. Oh, uh, what? Drake, Dion, Swizzy, uh, Fancy, Ludacris, and Nicki Minaj, My Chick Bad, and Young Jeezy implies uh, Lose My Mind. But, um, Shutterbug yeah, should have even, even, even Ryden didn't even have that much competition, I'd say. Like, the roots don't feel right. Outcast, Mighty O. Uh, Nelly, Paul, Ali, and Gip, Grills. Oh, Ludacris. How did Grills? And Jamie Foxx's Georgia. Bro, that's a fucking stacked year. But you want to you wanna, you wanna get fucked off? I'm going to give you two more. 2006. So we have Common and Last Post with The Corner. Oh. Eminem, Drain, 50 Cent with Encore. Game of 50 Cent, Hate or Love It. And the Yin Yang Twins, Wait, The Whisper Song. Guess what beat it? I don't <laughs> even know, maybe. <laughs> Our good friend, the Black Eyed Peas. Uh, what, with my humps or something? <laughs> no, don't fuck with my heart. Oh, no. No, no, but it no, doesn't no, stop there. Don't fuck with my heart. Wonder <laughs> if I take stop you there. home. <laughs> it doesn't stop there. That's egregious. This is also egregious. 2005. We have the Beastie Boys. Ch- check it out. Great song. Roots don't say nothing. Snoop and Pharrell drop it like it's hot. And Terror Squad's lead back. What beat that? And they all got beaten. But let's get it started. Oh. <laughs> They beat Black Eyed Peas went back to they back. They beat it. Drop it like it's hot. <laughs> they beat Drop it like it's hot, brother. Oh my gosh, I want to cry. Or lean so back funny. as well. Oh Fuck yeah, the Grammys. It's a really. This is a really Bro, bad. Up, just overall, uh, just an awards like track record. <laughs> there's some, there's some shit fucking picks in here. But um, but then again, Arrested Development, Diggle Plants one, and Summertime. Mm. Shout to Summertime, um, the yeah. greatest summer track of all time. Um, but yeah, it's just I just had to look that up because that was very funny. Anyway, uh, ultimate <laughs> victory. We? we have V Ultimate Victory. Ultimate Victory. Which sounds like a um, Mortal Kombat ripoff. But um, anyway, um, but there you go. You see the comedian um, twice on that particular one, which still uh, really want to know why. Um, randomly, no yeah, profanity. Yeah, that was weird. Um, I, I don't know if it was. I don't know if there was, was any in, particular was reason intentional, why. Intentional, but yeah. Intentional, okay. Um, for sure. Uh, I mean, I didn't really notice it. To be fair, I, I kind of just um, I kind of just went with it, and I was like, okay, cool. Um, not 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 great. Um, as an album, uh, overall, uh, I feel like it's just a. Uh, I don't know, I didn't really know where to go with it. I felt like the tracks themselves were pretty just long for the sake of being long. Um, in- industry groupie, oof, uh, but went into that one too much. Uh, 
I liked the morning news, hip hop police of Slick Rick. That was a good start. Pimp Mobile Bumby, okay. Um, Bill Collector with Crazy Bone. Uh, Ultimate Vacations. Yeah, that wasn't it. Um, I like the evening news. I feel like I feel like there could have been uh, an interesting concept here, like news wise, because obviously you mentioned him thinking about Katrina when it came to the first album. And um, I was kind of thinking as you said that, I was wondering if like, is there, did Katrina affect hip hop in any way? And I was trying, I was trying to think back um, to if it actually had any bearing on, you know, obviously influenced him to, you know, not, I guess, consistently talk about, you know, let's just say bling your, um, you know, content. But um, I was just wondering if actually, if if something there like that, songs, an event like Lil Wayne, yeah, maybe uh, not Katrina, but... report by Jay Z, like there are actual you know, songs yeah. about it, but yeah, yeah. yeah I was just, um, I was just, uh, just let me think about that. Um, the 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 G Unit thing I meant to go. say previously, um, was uh, no, it's it's it's, it's nothing deep, but um, I was just chameleon it sounded bare like Fifty Cent. I remember when I was listening to Riding back in the day, I was just like, this sounds really a lot like Fifty Cent. And uh, I thought he was just a 50 Cent clone at first um, when I first listened to him. Obviously, I'm uh, a little bit aware, more aware now. But uh, <laughs> just, I, I was—I remember listening to Raiden as a kid and I was just like, why does this sound so much like 50 Cent? Um, and I was wondering if that was just, you know, you know, the, you know, the Jada Kiss um, on, uh, on We Gonna Make It. Uh, you know, if you sound like Kiss, then sign right here. I was kind of thinking to that particular lyric when I was thinking about uh, riding in 50 Cent. But anyway, um, just a random thought I had uh, in all these years that I've, I can finally put on wax for for, for all, all, all the all the roads led down to this, um, to talk about that. But yeah, back to the album. Um, yeah, I just think um, it's, a bit, it's a bit just herky-jerky, I feel. Um, I, you know, just a kind of... Guess it guess it gets a good run in and then like there's just a track that kills the vibe for me or just um kills the momentum and then a couple more tracks that are decent and then just another b- couple of bits of mid is it's just it just goes all over the place for me personally as I listen to it um there are a couple of gems in there a couple of decent tracks uh but yeah overall it's just um not really it 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 got it got a bit um it got it got a bit to the point where I was like, okay, I'm I'm kind of done with this album by the by the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was riding high at this point. He was riding very very high. Two solid years of commercial success. Gosh, that was that was a struggle to get out. Um, you know, time came from drop his second studio album, number eight, Billboard 279 k first week. No profanity, as Charlie said. Uh, feature list is epic. Slick Rick, Bun B, Lil Wayne, Crazy Bone, Pimp C, Devin the Dude, Lloyd. He told Billboard, so this is what he said, I was trying to make the whole album be like a motion picture from beginning to end. I'm just tired of the norm. It's easy for me to just do what everybody else is doing and make a song about dancing and girls and stuff like that. But I was like, let me just try to think of some concepts, make it like a movie. So every song, even if it's a club song, it's got a concept to it that kept me interested, you know? So to that end, Hip Hop Police is released as a debut single. Um, he says in the song we get arrested and the police are trying to pin a crime on me and him at the end of the song they basically tell me they'll give me a lighter sentence if I pin the crime on my homie and then he comes in and defends himself he also said this to MTV he said Slick Rick's been one of those guys real good at telling stories <laughs> which has got to be the understatement of the millennium anyway 
it's not incorrect not wrong that's what we're doing telling a story about a murder the metaphor means nowadays just loving hip-hop and being a rapper and loving music is the same as committing a murder with all the controversy surrounding rap that is what that record is about i got a little bit lost i think but uh yeah man it's, it's it's he's obviously not worried about hitting all the different markets and his label doubtless wanted him to to hit them but he just didn't seem that interested it's it's kind of conceptual it's critical of the industry that's what it is 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 really an anti-industry hip hop album i feel um rather than chase the success of Ryden for the rest of his career i think he showed maturity and grace in shifting his content away from something that propelled him to the stratosphere and drill down on his own essentials and his own goals, not just as a rapper, but as a businessman and a human. And I feel like he did refuse to sell out. And, you know, the titles are like Industry Groupie, Pimp Mode, The Bill Collector. These are strong titles and indicative of someone who has moved on to other realms. Um, it's wholly unsurprising that this is the most recent studio album we've gotten from him. Um, I do want to kind of, I don't want to sum the episode because we're about to do his business career, but I do want to draw a line under his commercial music career because I think it taught him a lot and gave him a foothold to go pursue a career in business, which is clearly where his heart lie. Um, And yeah, man, that was was kind of the end of the music career. And then we transitioned into the business. So the reason why Chameleon, and this is probably the, the story of the episode, the reason why his story is so unique and fascinating, not the music, it's what the music afforded him. And we often speak of ground floor investors and early adopters. Um, those terms aren't synonymous with innovator, not necessarily. Chameleonaire walks right down the middle of those two paths. He's an innovator in that he saw the inherent value in a lot of things before anyone else in the industry did. To trace his business lineage back, we have to return once again to Paul Wall. His move into entrepreneurial spaces began as far back as 98 when he began exploring selling his own grills. So he told Vice that a store was set up in Houston by a guy from Brooklyn selling removable grills. And Paul Wall thought it was such a solid business idea, he began passing out flyers to the shop front. He eventually brought so much business to the fledgling grill store that this grills aficionado brought Paul Wall onto the team and taught him how to make grills. So he began selling them out of a store in Trinity Gardens that was also sw- selling his Swisher House CDs. So Chameleon has started soaking all this knowledge up. I've watched so many hours of him talking about business, and mostly it is boring marketing drivel. You know, the kind of trash they made me sit through during my own marketing degree is pretty useless. A significant amount of hot air, kind of culminating in his legendary Convos launch, which I'll speak about in a second, but listening to him speak is instructive to his process. He doesn't talk like he thinks he's the smartest person in the room. He constantly mentions curiosity and humility and the power of listening first before speaking. He makes pretty basic observations about trends and businesses, but the success of Ryden afforded him the opportunity to actually act on these basic but truthful insights. So in 2003, he began investing. He poured some money into Flyride's Custom Toys, which is a customization shop in Houston. His rationale for this investment was simple. He told allhiphop.com out here in Texas, that car thing is big. We'll do videos and rent all kinds of cars and people will waste all kinds of money on them. And instead, they can come spend that money with me. And that's pretty much underlines his early investment strategy. Um, you know, the same way that Paul Wall saw his fellow rappers wearing grills and wanted to be their supplier, Chameleonaire simply noted that rappers like cars, especially customized cars, and he wanted a piece of that money. And, you know, this was pre-riding. The business ended up getting so large that he gave control over to his partner, Big Ernest, and the company still exists. 
The next major venture was a modeling company entitled Masterpiece Mindframe. Again, he's told allhiphop.com, I'll go out and see people and everybody wants to make money and I'll make video girls who wanna live the good life and all, but it's like you've gotta have a plan. That's why it's called Masterpiece Mindframe because in the word mindframe, your mind comes before your frame. There's a lot of, the yeah, yeah. print modeling can turn into movies and other stuff and you can just step all the way up the ladder. It's like that with males and females and if you're trying to go somewhere, just walk up the ladder, you know, and take it to the next step. So anyway, this is not the last time Chameleon Air would draw some tenuous connections between words, but we'll get to that in a second. So thus far, his business ideas have been very simple. Rappers like cars, so let me help find rappers' cars. Women are in videos are attractive, so let me help them get modeling jobs, you know? And you'll never guess what his next business idea was. A tour bus company. He was literally sitting on a tour bus and felt like he needed a piece of that profit. So this is one thing he said repeatedly in interviews, notably during Crook's Corner. He follows through, he works hard, he sees opportunity, he pursues it. His ideas are not complex. That's the thing. People like talk about Chameleon Air being some sort of genius at business. He works hard. His ideas are very simple. He tells Crook at one point that people should, this is this was mind blown moment. He said, people should stop posting on Instagram. They should own Instagram. That way, every time they post, they're contributing to their own bank balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got, we got dollar yeah. store Jay-Z right here. So that's at, okay. that's at the heart of every business decision Chameleon okay. Air has made. He took something that's part of his everyday life as a rapper, tried to turn it into money maker for himself. But there are two things that happened that are not related to this that are pretty genius. So 2009 is when things really kicked off for him. He met Mark Suster, Suster Suster, a venture capitalist who lay a bunch of businesses out for Chameleon Air and asked him to choose which ones to invest in. He chose Maker Studios, one of the greatest choices in hip hop history. His original investment was $1.5 million, which sounds like either nothing or a lot, depending on your perspective. But I'm sure it took a lot of bravery to put that money on the table because Maker Studios was founded in 2009. So Chameleon Air got himself in right on the ground floor, right? Over the next five years, the platform kind of worked itself to become a pretty big independent network, which featured a bunch of original content from a host of famous content creators. Now in 2014, Disney bought it for $950 million, netting Chameleon Air $20 million in payout. So from here, Chameleon Air got even more creative with his investments. In 2013, he invested in Cruise Automation during its startup phase, which is a company specializing in self-driving tech. 2016, sold to General Motors for a billion dollars. He then invested in Lyft very early in that company's life cycle. Once again, netting huge amounts of money as it expanded. In 2019, he went on Squawk Alley to defend his investment, saying that Lyft is a company that will only continue to grow and he's incredibly happy with his investment, which is true, it has continued to grow. This all led to him becoming the entrepreneur in residence at Upfront Ventures, which is a massive venture capital company based in Santa Monica with over $2 billion in raised funds since 96. This is the company that praised his foresight on Maker Studios. But, you know, there's no one obviously in business devoid of failure. In 2017, he began working with Upfront Ventures to bring a new social media brand to the market, Convos. So the idea is to allow an influencer to connect directly with their fans through short 15-second clips. Thus far, the company hasn't really gone anywhere. Um, although the app is still exists, it's still used. 
Registration is invite only and it kind of employs a wait list for new users to keep it exclusive. I assume it's similar to Clubhouse in that way. Um, in 2019, Chameleonaire and E40 linked up to give a bunch of grants for minority or women-led startups. And, you know, that's kind of the end of the episode in terms of his business. Those are the big things, you know. I've always felt like with Chameleonaire, people talk about him being a genius in business, being a millionaire, being self-made, but no one really understands how or why or where that came from or what happened there. And I see him very similar to Jay-Z in that sense. Jay-Z, in his early career, just looked around and said, well, we're wearing a lot of clothes, so we should sell clothes you know we should sell we drink a lot of vodka we should sell vodka you know we drink a lot of cristal so we'll go to cristal and cristal can give us some money oh they're not going to give us any money fuck them let's go to ace of spades let's go to Ducey. let's create our own so you know it's very simple but once you have that money and have that drive and have that push it's possible and you know his interviews are pretty intolerable. They're very intolerable. <laughs> he drones on endlessly using marketing speak, disguising absolutely nothing as something. During his Convos launch, he delivers this horrible monologue about the letter C and why it's lucky for him. He informs us that the C is amazing because it starts in one place and ends just before it becomes a complete circle, which apparently is ironic because both complete and circle end in or start in C. They start with the word C. I'm, I'm fucking serious, bro. He goes on this long spiel to Crook about how people shouldn't post on social media platforms until they own this. That wasn't just a, a throwaway line. He talked about that for like five minutes, about how the first investors in Instagram only invested $128,000 and then they made $70 million when it sold. Like, bro, it is... It is mm, Oh, just have to find $120,000 in. But look, uh, it is impossible to deny how good those two major picks of his business career were. Getting on Maker Studios before it became Disney Plus is a fucking masterstroke. Investing in self-driving tech in 2012, very forward thinking. You could call it luck, but Chameleonaire doesn't really have any misses in his business portfolio outside of Convos. It's impossible to call that a miss yet because it still exists. And, you know, I think the, the Dame Dash interview is the funniest freaking interview. Chameleonaire mostly drones on using buzzwords in interviews, but Dame Dash actually makes him stop talking entirely and listen for a solid five minutes and asking the occasional question. In that moment, you can see the curiosity that Chameleonaire preaches about in these interviews. He credits it with all of his, his success. He says his ability to shut up and listen and ask the right questions of the right people um, I wouldn't say he's humble, but he's very measured and aware. And I don't really think there's another story like it. You know, every few years, someone will post on Twitter about Chameleonaire being washed up or a one-hit wonder, and they'll just get shouted down for good reason, you know, because what he's achieved with the money he made from Raiden is not something anyone else has really replicated. Um, you know, I, I, as I say, I place him in the same thing as, as Jay-Z. And yeah, their bank, bank, bank balances may be a little bit different, but I think if you gave Chameleonaire a couple of hundred million dollars to play with, I think he'd flip that into a billion in half a decade. Like, I think he knows what he's doing in that sense. So it's a weird episode, man. It's such a weird, it's two very separate parts of his career, but hip-hop informed his business career, and now it seems like that's his thing now. Chameleonaire. Houston's Jay Z. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe I'll maybe that'll be the title of the YouTube video. <laughs> I mean, you got to do something inflammatory on YouTube, right? 
is Chameleonaire the Houston Jay-Z. We discuss. We discuss. Fucking YouTube ass, fucking fucking YouTube ass title. You make a make a make a dumb make a stupid face right now just for the thumbnail. Just like <laughs> <laughs> Oh fucking hell. And also, like if you if you're one of those people that just want to listen to Chameleonaire's music, congratulations, you have a yeah. fuck ton of mixtapes. <laughs> it's to a lot of music as well. So it's not like we're all we're all eating, we're all eating on that front, right? So you know, take, yeah, we only did the studio albums, obviously, but there's a fuck ton of mic tapes, uh, you know, throughout the years. Go for it, man. Eat, eat go, go eat, go kiss, go get your chameleonaire fix. Uh, but yeah, for now we shall finish there. And I'll be to a light note. Um, so the reason why, uh, well, there's a couple reasons why. My reason, I'll let Ben to get to his reason. Uh, but my reason uh, why this episode is uh, for the yeah. for the first time ever, uh, 24 hours late, um, is because I was just um, out touching grass for, for basically basically the whole weekend. Um, I was out on Friday, well, Thursday and Friday, and then Saturday I went to Jazz Cafe to spin, uh, to watch Arrested Development. Um, I will say, just off the bat, probably like top five Dove, top five jazz cafe show I've been to and I've been to a lot at <laughs> the jazz cafe uh, it's my favourite venue um, and Jesus their energy is so good speech is going to be 55 this year and he just hasn't missed a step and it's actually crazy um, he was wearing these dungarees and they had uh, the Black Power uh, Black Panther logo at the back it was sick um, shout out to Farida and April who were with him, uh, just doing backup, uh, vocals and that. And, uh, they just had such good energy between the three of them. Uh, the whole band was great as well, obviously. Um, the music is, you know, obviously Arrested Development and it just, um, you know, I've called it hip hop adult contemporary. Um, but just the... Everyone enjoyed themselves, and the call and response was fun. It was amazing, and I got some great photos out of it. I'm gonna drop it sometime this week. And um, yeah, man, shout out to the rest of the event, man. They've been going on for over thirty years now, and you know, it's I I liken them similar to Digital Underground, uh, where you know, it's been it's the brains is one guy in speech, um, and you know, the members come and go, but the whole thing just stays solid. Um, you know, I've listened. I've been listening to their albums in recent years, and it just feels it feels like the Grammy-winning stuff that they did earlier. Um, it it just fits, and uh, you know, all credit to them as a collective. And uh, yeah, just a really amazing show. Um, and also on Sunday, I hit Cross the Tracks um, in Brockwell Park in Brixton, and uh, that was also very enjoyable. I got to see pretty much everyone I wanted to see. Um, apart from the Silhouettes project, but I saw them in April anyway, so you know I'll take that as a dub. Um, but yeah, it was really good. Chelsea Carmichael, uh, the Blues Project with Lizzie Burchy, Carl Benjamin, shout out to him, absolute tank, like fucking D'Angelo vibes. Um, and also Natanya, I think it was, I think that's her name. Um, apparently she supported Flo recently, um, so shout out to her. Um, who else did I see? Uh, fuck. Well, obviously, no worries. Um, headlines uh, and some pack knowledge. I will say, considering I went to see, uh, I saw Krangbin last year. Um, if I'm comparing the two headliners, um, Krangbin was far better. Um, I feel going to No Worries show is a bit weird for weird on the face because while while it was going on, um, you know, 
Peck dipped a couple of times. Uh, one for a, 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 clo- a you know change in clothes, um, which was cool. Um, and then the se- and then the other one was to bring in some <laughs> to bring in a ton of like uh, just ladies, and they were like dancing with him, and like he was just whining on two girls. That was kind of hilarious. Um, it fit. It fit the bill. Um, but it was the stuff in between that, in between as as he was gone and off stage. It was just knowledge, just playing his beats from his career. And on the screen was just like, obviously, um, you know, he did a beat for Mahalia and you know, that, was, that was fun. And then like Kodak Black was on one. I was just like, I'm not, I'm not across the tracks to listen to Kodak Black. Vibes. I'm sorry. It's not what I'm here for. It, not it's the not vibes. the vibe. Um, but, the you know, vibes. obviously, if you come for knowledge, you're going to get knowledge beats. But I just didn't really, I didn't really, I wasn't really fucking with that, to be honest. It felt a bit of a lull um, in between. And if you like the songs, you like the songs. But I don't think most people do. Um, but yeah, while 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 the songs were going on, it was obviously very enjoyable. Um, Masego was very good. Um, he was amazing. Good vibes on that front. Uh, who else did I see? Uh, Bina, shout out to Bina. I saw her support Emily Sande. Uh, well, over a year ago now. I only remember because that's when I realized I need glasses. Um, she was really good wearing some uh provocative um uh, uh <laughs> provocative uh, clothing, shall we say? Uh, but yeah, she was she was amazing. I really enjoyed her. Um, there's others I'm trying to think. I should, probably should obviously know the rest. Um, but yeah, it's um it was just uh it was just really good, man. It was just really good, and that's why we haven't recorded um since Sunday. Um, but yeah, uh, we're here recording on Tuesday. Um, dropping obviously on Wednesday. Uh, but it is, it is what he is. Um, L taken, but uh, oh. I really just uh, <laughs> dumped my mic there. But yeah, really enjoyable week, man. Really enjoyable weekend. Um, Miami Heat are in the finals. Heat Nation, we're here. We got the guts. Um, but um, yeah, it's um, it's all good. I'm happy, man. I already got a lot, I've got a ton of photos. So yeah, be, be wary for that. I'm keen, man. Keen for the photo dump. <laughs> literally, literally just a fucking dump. <laughs> just a dump of photos. Oh yeah, Yasmin Lacey, Emma V... Uh, I missed Alpha Miss, but I've seen him live several times. Uh, Liv as well. There you go. I saw Liv. She Ooh. was great. Very, How was very, she? Good. Very eclectic. Yeah, yeah, very eclectic. Yeah, she was yeah. just like... She was just, that would yeah, she, was, she, was, she was going off. Her, her fit was wild. Like She was wearing yeah. some like, like sweater that just said ice cream on it. And uh, she was wearing like some like kilt kilt kind of kit it was yeah it was very very interesting and lastly Addy Oasis as well um, who was probably my MVP out of the bunch um there's something about female bassists that I just love I don't know why it's just uh just just the way they're doing it it's just uh it, it tracks the hell out of me um but yeah she's a mum to be um she had like a five month baby bump as well um which must be fascinating for the baby to just go for all those you know vibrations and shit but here we are um, but yeah, she was great. The funk was, mm, the bass was killing, absolutely amazing. Her album this year was one, is still one of my favorites this year. Um, but yeah, man, really good vibes. Um, love me some across the tracks. Um, but yeah, man, I'd, uh, I'd consider me there next year, depending on the lineup. Cause uh, yeah, man, I've, I've loved these past two years, definitely. That's a win, man. That's a massive win. Nice when it's nice when you know you just have a festival that you can just go to and you know you'll have a good time. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's nice that I found that for myself. I'm happy. That's good, man. Yeah, I mean, my reasoning is just I was watching rewatching Power, just rewatching Power. Yeah, yeah, sure. Just rewatching Power Book Two. I felt like Taxi Charlie. Rich Town. I felt like Taxi Charlie. Like, bro, you have never seen Method Man's bare ass on camera. 
just grinding away because you never got that far into the show. But I've seen it. I've seen it. I can't. I can't. I can't. I I have seen. The fact that they just made Tariq like a G, I, I can't. I can't. No. Department from reality. Departure from reality. To oh, me. that's There's the no departure way from reality. There's no way he got. He hasn't got clipped. There's no way. There's no way he hasn't got clipped yet. Nobody went like, "Who's the fuck is this twenty-something-year-old?" He's not even twenty, bro. Oh, he's eighteen up. in the show. Like, he's what yeah. the fuck? What are we doing here? Come on, man. It's not. It's bro. I, I, I I'm gonna finish Snowfall sometime this year. Whenever season six comes around here in the UK, I don't know when it's gonna come around, but I'm gonna. I want to watch it. You know, obviously, I don't know if you watch Snowfall, but that shit feels it's fucking good, raw. Watch it. Feels great. It's great. Give it a spin, please. Like Damson Idris is goaded in that. The whole cast is great, actually. The whole cast is actually really tough. Um, but you know, that's obviously set in the eighties, crack era, and it feels authentic. You know, power has this departure from reality, which, you know, was kind of fun at first. Um, but then they made Tarika G, and I'm just like, no, I don't I'm I can't subscribe to that. I can't have him, this preppy kid who started off as like, you know, this preppy kid, kind of meek. You know what I mean? And now he's dealing with Albanians. Get fucked. Nah, not Albanians, Get fucked. bro. You I'm not watching watch, that show. Got, I'm sorry, it's not happening. I'm not going further than the. I'm not going further than when than how far I went. I think it was like season four or five. I'm good. I'm stopping there. I enjoyed my time. I enjoyed my time from the seasons before, but I'm not getting into the book series. I'm not. I just can't. It's it's departure from reality that just pissed me off. I hate it. I'll tell you what. You're missing. You're missing meth and red. And you're missing Mary. I know, just I know. I love Miss Mary. I love Mary. I love, I love a Mary. A world ender. Bro, I bought... Uh, they're over there. I bought Mary yesterday when I was out. I'm like, you know what? I'm just buying some Mary CDs because I want this shit in my car. I want everything Mary <laughs> J. Blige right now. I'm on a Mary J. Blige tip. I, I'm all oh, over Oh, you know it would be great? If any, if any Cross the Tracks representatives, Mary J. next year, please. That would be great. Please. That would be so Is amazing. she even still performing? Uh, I mean, I keep seeing her in fit, so yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure she's still performing, performing. Like she performed, she performed Nas like last year, didn't she? So um, maybe not touring, touring, but you know, Kalise was there uh, across the tracks. So I think she was on the same similar time as No Worries, unfortunately. But um, yeah, she she doesn't tour, quote unquote, much as um, as a uh, one friend I made <laughs> at the at the festival said. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. She she toured. It's only a one day festival. That's get right. Let's get, let's get it down. Come down, Mary. Please, came out please. Last year, hey, Good Morning Gorgeous. We reviewed it. It was fucking amazing. That's yeah, right. Yeah, and glorious. she she toured that album. Yeah, man, go for it, man. Cross the tracks next year, please. Let's do this. Let's do that. Anyway, all right, we'll finish there. Um, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, find the fifth end podcast now. It's been Digging Digital. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm Charlie Taylor for the fans. I've been part of Hip Hop Numbers. I hope you all have a good week. We shall always try to do the same, but until the next time. Take it easy. Thanks and John. Peace. Digging and Did This is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is said by me. Music for the show is Pizza Big Games, so bonus points. Thanks to Chill Music for the Billy to use. Socials for the film, hip hop by numbers, bonus points, and short music will be in the full show notes as well as an exit projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a 5 EPM production. Thanks for spending time with us. I should see you next time. I'm digging in the DJs.